everyone. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is found at the start of the Gospel of John, where it says this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Well, the Christmas season is here, and I know that some of you are thinking it's already been Christmas at the stores for like five months now. And uh, while the retailers want us to think that Christmas starts Labor Day weekend, I think we could probably all agree that we need to at least get past Thanksgiving uh, before we can say that it's Christmas time. That's when we really start gearing up for the season. Trees go up, lights get stapled to rooftops, inflatable Santas get strategically positioned in people's lawns, and uh, you know we begin thinking about all the gifts that we need to buy, and parties that we need to attend, and cheese balls that aren't going to eat themselves, and so we overindulge all in the name of Christmas, and it happens every year. I wonder, what are your thoughts about this time of year? I know some people who absolutely love Christmas time. They can't get enough of it. They spend a lot of time planning and preparing for the season. They like wearing those fake reindeer antler hats and red Christmas sweaters, and they look at us like we're the weird ones. Uh, they love Christmas. Maybe you're one of those folks. Other people uh, really tend to dread this time of year, and you typically know who those folks are too. Uh, they can be pretty vocal about their feelings, and in fact, they can't wait to get past the month of December just so life can return uh, to some amount of normalcy. And then there are some people who are just neutral on the matter. They don't really acknowledge the Christmas season. They don't love it. They don't hate it. Uh, nothing really changes for them. It just is what it is. What about you? Do you enjoy it? Do you uh, just endure it? Are you kind of indifferent? What do you feel as we enter this time of year? You know, that passage I read for you a minute ago, John chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5, the reason I love it so much is because it offers so much hope. And I'm reminded of that, especially this time of year. It's the heart of the Christmas story, that, that Jesus Christ, who was with God in the beginning and who was in very nature God, he stepped out of heaven, out of his rightful place with the Father, and he brought light into our darkness, and he has offered us hope and joy and peace and life. That's the heart of the Christmas story right there. But think about this. Christmas is probably the most celebrated holiday of all. More people will be in church services over the next month than any other time of the year. People will be more generous with their time and their money over the next month than any other time of the year. And yet what seems to be true for so many is that the season isn't really marked by things like hope and joy and peace, but more so it's marked by busyness and stress and anxiety. And maybe that's why some people tend to dread this time of year or why some are just indifferent because really how is that any different than any other time of the year? But I strongly believe that God wants something for each of us that is way beyond what we tend to think about this time of year, way beyond family get-togethers, way beyond big meals, way beyond gifts and lights and trees. I believe that what he really wants for us is to more fully embrace the light of Jesus Christ and to share that light with the people around us who are living in darkness. Gifts, 
and friends and parties, those things are all nice, but they're not the point of Christmas. And we know that, right? I mean, that's not news. We, we say that every single year in our Christmas series. But for so many people, they really do become the point of Christmas. And all of the, the focus goes on things that really don't matter. Can I ask you to be honest this morning? Have you maybe lost sight of the real point of Christmas? And if so, how do we move toward the light and the life of Christ in this Christmas season? That's the question that we're going to try to answer over the next uh, several weeks in our Christmas series. And this morning, I want to talk specifically about what it means to move from a place of anxiety to a place of hope. I wonder if any of you saw this news story last week. Fox News had this headline. Uh, It said, U.S. Airways kicks disruptive emotional support pig off of plane. Did anybody see this? Uh, The article reported that a pet pig trying to board a U.S. Airways plane in Connecticut found out that not all pigs can fly. The porky passenger was grounded at Bradley International Airport for turning the cabin into a pig pen and disrupting other passengers. The 70-pound pot-bellied pig was brought onto the flight as an emotional support animal for a woman who was flying to Washington on Wednesday. The flight crew booted the woman and the pig from the plane before it left because the animal was squealing and had defecated in the aisle. Can you imagine being on that flight? Or even worse, maybe being the guy sitting next to the woman and this pig. He uh, he actually said that when she came on, they thought she was carrying a duffel bag, but they pretty quickly found out she was carrying something much worse than that. It's unbelievable. But it highlights the fact that we will do all sorts of things to cope with our anxieties, won't we? And while you may not have an emotional support pig that you like to fly with, I bet you develop some kind of coping patterns or habits in your life when anxiety comes to the surface. And the truth about Christmas time is that anxieties tend to come to the surface. We don't like to admit it. We may try to hide it. We we may try to shove down those emotions and feelings because something's telling us that we need to just act like everything is okay, but everything's not okay. Bob Russell highlights this in a blog that he wrote last week titled, When the Holidays Aren't Happy, and in it he said this. He said, television ads and Hallmark cards, they create an image of a warm, family-centered Christmas. Everyone's exchanging gifts, everyone's smiling and hugging while the snow is gently falling outside and the fireplace is all aglow. But reality is not like that. People are alone Families are divided. Kids are on drugs. There are harsh words. Dad sits in the easy chair and won't help out with the lights. Mom nags. Kids complain. Somebody refuses to come. We have to walk on eggshells because of someone's sensitive feelings. There's such a gap between what should be and what is, and it's magnified at Christmas. Does that sound about right to you? I mean, does any part of that represent what the holidays look like in your home or in your family? What anxiety does Christmas bring with it for you? One of the biggest things people experience this time of year is the anxiety of overspending. And while gifts and parties and and travel, they're all part of the season, man, it can really add up, can it? And we overextend and we end up feeling the anxiety of our finances. Maybe what makes you most anxious this uh, season is who you'll have to be around this Christmas. You know, maybe you've got some weird relatives. I I don't know. I do. Uh, 
<laughs> I hope they're not listening to our podcast, though. For some people, you know, even beyond that, the, the, the people uh, that are at those family gatherings, it can just be a reminder of all sorts of pain, all sorts of past hurts. And the thought of having to relive those things can cause some anxiety. For others, Christmas, it can be a very lonely time. And maybe for you, you know, you never thought that Christmas 2014 would find you alone again. Or maybe for the first time. And you had high hopes for this relationship, but it just didn't work out. Maybe there's some anxiety around a physical illness. Maybe you or a loved one are facing some very real fear about what the future holds. You know, this also tends to be a time of year when we miss those who have passed away and who used to make Christmas so special. So the question becomes, what are we supposed to do with all of these anxieties that come with Christmas? How are we supposed to find hope when the pain and the loss and the stress are so real? How do we move from anxiety to hope? That's what I want to focus on this morning. And I want to share with you a story about a couple who found themselves in a difficult situation and very much in need of hope. Their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we find their story in Luke chapter 1. If you want to follow along, there's some Bibles under your seats. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, is where we're going to be. And it says this It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth, Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, right at the beginning of this passage, it says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea. And this speaks volumes about the hopelessness of God's people just before Jesus was born. Here's the thing. Herod was not a true Jewish king. His main interest was not in the well-being of the Jewish people. He was a close friend with the occupying Roman Empire, which was known for its brutality toward the Jews. The people of God had put so much hope in their nation, and those hopes had been demolished over and over again. In fact, at the start of this story, it had been hundreds of years since the last time Israel had truly been an independent nation. Roman taxes were crushing them. Violent soldiers and politicians were calling the shots, and the people of God were in despair. And this is the reality that we find Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, in. They were God's people living in the darkness of a foreign military occupation. And on top of that, they were very old and yet still without children. And their childbearing years were well behind them. We need to understand that in those days, children were more than just a legacy. They were more than just, uh, than just you know, uh, maybe the way that we would view our kids, but, but that they were also the ones who would take care of you in your very old age. The anxiety of being an aging, childless couple had to weigh on them. And the truth is, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we all have things in our lives that can cause anxiety and worry, don't we? We all have concerns about whether or not life will hold uh, what we hope for and what we dream for and what we long for. For some of us, Christmas is a welcome distraction from those anxieties. But for others, Christmas tends to intensify them. But either way, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, we all have a choice to make. We can either let our anxieties define us and defeat us, or we can trust that God is good and that he has a plan and a purpose in our pain. Look at what happens next in verse 11. Luke 1.11 says this. 
Then an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of of the Lord. Now, maybe you know that this is the foretelling of the coming of John the Baptist. And John was the one who the scriptures had foretold of, who would come as one like Elijah, that he would go before the Lord. And what we know is that John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. He's about six months older than Jesus. And what did he do? Well, he made ready a people prepared for the Lord. What was his message? He said, Repent. Repent, the kingdom of God is near. God has come near. He's walking among us. Now, if you're Zechariah, what's your response to all of this? You've been told you're finally going to be blessed with a child, a son even. And not only that, but your son is the one who's going to prepare the way for this coming Messiah. How would you respond to that? More importantly, how does Zechariah, how did Zechariah respond? Look at verse 18. It says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So let me get this right. An angel from heaven appears to you with a very specific message, and the first thing you do is ask for a sign. How can I be sure this is true? Because having an angel from heaven standing in front of me telling me these things isn't convincing enough. I need a sign. Sounds crazy, right? But that's what Zechariah does. And let's not give him too hard of a time. Maybe we would do the same thing. But the angel immediately takes away his ability to talk because he doesn't believe what he said. Now, don't worry. He gets his voice back later in the story. Uh, Maybe Elizabeth is even happy this happened. Maybe Zechariah was a talker and it was a nice break for her. We don't really know. Uh, You can read on your own what happens, but what you'll see is how God moved in these people's lives, and he did. He blessed them with this child, but do you know that that's not the point of the story? The point isn't that Zechariah and Elizabeth have a son, so now they're happy. I'm certain that that was true, and it is what they prayed for, but it is not the point. The point is not having a problem solved. The point is this. The point is that God is the God of hope. God is the God of hope. Do you realize that John the Baptist would be the first prophet of God to speak in 400 years The fact that Zechariah and Elizabeth had a child is a minor detail in light of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that God is speaking again. God's on the move again. God is preparing to send his son. And John is going to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And for the first time in a long time, the people had hope. The point of the story isn't that we can be happy or or have hope if God would just give us what we ask for. God had a much bigger purpose in mind for Zechariah and Elizabeth. The hope God provided wasn't just for them. It was for the whole world. God's plan and purpose was so much bigger than what Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for. And I believe that he has a much bigger purpose in mind for you and for me, too. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. It's that the hope that we have 
isn't a hope that all of our problems here on earth will be solved. So many times I think that's what we really want. I know it can be true for me. I find myself in a stressful situation, uh, in a moment of conflict. I've got problems and concerns, and I just want to move from a place of anxiety to a place of hope. But listen, this is what uh, the Lord in his great grace made very clear to me this week. And I debated about whether I was going to tell you this or not. I'm just going to tell you. I, I don't want this to skew what you might think my view of God is, but here's how I, I kind of viewed the conversation between Christ and the Father going this week as I started my message prep on Monday, uh, I kind of viewed uh, the father telling Jesus, hey, he's got this. He's going to figure it out. It's going to be fine. And then we get to Thursday morning, and I'm still just like, Lord, I don't know what to say to your people on Sunday. And I think that Jesus was like, I, don't, I think we're going to have to spell it out for him. And so this might be like just basic stuff for you. Uh, but when the Lord revealed this to me very graciously on Thursday, so I didn't have to stand up here and look like an idiot, uh, I was just like, thank you, Lord. So I'm going to use this whiteboard this morning because I'm a visual guy. And, uh, and hopefully this will make sense to you. But here's the deal. Like I said, we get in these stressful situations. We find ourselves in conflict. Uh, and, and what we want to do is we want to move from a place of anxiety to hope. You know, whatever it might be, get me out of this and, and get me over here. God, I, I don't want to be here. I want to move from here to here. But here's the deal. Anxiety isn't the root of the problem. And hope isn't the solution to the problem. When I was trying to think about, well, what is that step? How do, we, how do we move from anxiety to hope? What the Lord made very clear to me this week was anxiety is not the root of the problem and hope is not the solution to the problem. There is no quick fix, one easy step to move from here to here. No, the root of the problem is actually this. And yes, I did spend a lot of time making this board for this morning, just so you know. The root of the, the, root of the problem it's this right here, this suffering. And anxiety is actually a fruit of suffering. This is the root of the problem. This is where we've landed because of it. But here's what I want you to see and what the Lord revealed to me this week as well is that hope, hope is also or can be a fruit of suffering. And you're thinking, man, this is, that's not what I want to hear at all. Like, I want to get away from suffering. I don't want more suffering. Uh, this can't be. But watch this. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. I want to show you something. This is the Apostle Paul writing this. And listen to what he says. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Okay, nothing too controversial yet, but watch this. Verse 3. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? How can Paul possibly say that we glory in our sufferings? Well, he says, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Listen, the, the journey from anxiety to hope begins with an appropriate response to this. It begins with an appropriate response to suffering in our lives. We already know that suffering can lead to anxiety, but Paul, who wrote this passage, begins to lay out in verse 3 how hope or how suffering can also lead to hope. It begins like this. He says, suffering produces perseverance. 
Suffering produces perseverance. Let me just put a P on here to represent perseverance on the journey to hope. Suffering produces perseverance. So in our suffering, we can choose to be consumed, we can choose to be defeated, or we can choose to endure, to persevere. Think about what Zechariah, uh, think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, their story, elderly couple, beyond childbearing years. But what did the angel say? He says, God has heard your prayers. Did you catch that? They never gave up. They never quit praying. They, they endured. They persevered because they believed that God was capable of anything. So the first step in this journey from, from suffering to hope is perseverance. And I wonder this morning, have you given up too soon? Have you given up too soon? Where have you thrown in the towel and accepted defeat? If you're experiencing some crippling anxiety in your life right now, I want to invite you to pick that towel back up, to get back in the game, and you persevere. You persevere because here's what's going to happen next. It's the next thing that Paul lays out for us in verse 4. He says, perseverance produces character. Okay, so suffering produces perseverance. Per perseverance produces character. And I think this is absolutely key for us to understand this morning. God's greatest concern is not that we would be happy. His greatest concern is not that we would be happy, at least not in the way we would typically define happiness. It's not that we would live, live just easy, trouble-free lives. That's what we want. That's what I want. But that's not great, God's greatest concern for us. God's desire is that in our suffering, that our character would become more and more like Christ. That as we persevere, we would have more of the heart of Christ, more of the mind of Christ developed in us. This is what we see in Zechariah and Elizabeth's story. The text said that they were blameless, that they were righteous in the sight of God. And all of that, even in the midst of suffering, so many times, man, we just want out, don't we? Whatever the suffering might look like, I just want it to be over as quickly as possible. Or if I can't see a way out, I'm just going to find a way to numb the pain. And man, that leads to some really dark places, doesn't it? You know, maybe using alcohol, maybe using drugs, maybe looking at porn, maybe adulteries, maybe whatever it might be for you. It's all an attempt just to numb the pain of suffering. But God is after something bigger than just numbing our pain. He's after our hearts. He wants to, to bring purpose out of our suffering, and he wants to use it to develop in us godly character. It reminds me of what was said of Christ in Hebrews 5.8, and my mind has been turning to this verse over the past several months so much lately as I've just been studying the life of Christ and looking at his, his deity and his humanity. But Hebrews 5.8, in the English Standard Version, it says it this way, although he was a son, speaking of Christ, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Even though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What was Christ's response to suffering? It was increased obedience. He persevered. He learned to trust the Father, even to the point that when we find him in the garden, knowing full well what lies ahead of him, the betrayal, the beatings, the mocking, and ultimately his execution, he says to the Father, he says, take this cup from me. I don't want it. But he doesn't end there. He says, but not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, yours be done. How was he able to say that? Well, because Jesus learned obedience to the Father 
over the course of a life that was marked by suffering. So often, I think uh, we, we think about the suffering of Christ just within the last 48 hours of his life. That's not true. It's not accurate. I believe that Christ's suffering began the moment that he left heaven, his rightful place, and entered the womb. He suffered as an infant. He suffered as a child. He suffered as a young adult. He suffered into his adulthood. We don't have time to explore all of that this morning, but understand that the character of obedience that Jesus displayed in the garden not my will but yours. That character was nurtured over a lifetime of obedience to the Father. And I believe that the Father wants the same for you and for me. That in our suffering, as we persevere, that we would become more like Christ in our character. Suffering leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to character. And then Paul says this happens next, that character produces hope. Character produces hope that as we grow more and more in the likeness and the character of Christ, that we will experience true hope. And it's not a hope that's rooted in anything of this world. Because things that, the, the hope that's rooted in things of this world, they, they won't last. Remember that Christ said, in this world, you will have trouble. So what does the world offer us? It's not hope. It's trouble. That's what the world has to offer us. But take heart, Christ says, because I have overcome the world. Hope that's rooted in this world, it's not hope at all. It won't last. It leads to more trouble. But true hope is found when we move our eyes off of this world, off of our current circumstance, off of our troubles and anxieties, and we move them to the reality that is ours in Jesus Christ, the one who has overcome this world, the light shining in the darkness. He has not offered us freedom from suffering, but he has offered us hope in the midst of it. That's the hope that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth got to experience. And in case you're thinking, well, yeah, but they got what they prayed for too, right? Kind of a, they got the double deal. You know, they got the child they wanted. Let's not forget that it was not happily ever after in their lives. If you know this story, you know, we don't know if they lived to see it or not. But what we know is that this child that they had desperately prayed for and finally been given, he ends up in prison. And ultimately, he's beheaded because some people didn't like his message. So think about it for a minute. If Zechariah and, and Elizabeth had just pinned all their hope on the son that they were given, where would that have ultimately landed them? Right back here. Right back at suffering. Because he gets killed. So I want to ask you this morning, you know, if you find yourself in this Christmas season with some anxiety, what's the root of it? Where, where have you pinned your hope? Is it in something of this world? Is it in something that, that can very easily be taken away or destroyed? What's the root of that, of that anxiety? Maybe for you, this journey towards hope, it needs to begin by being honest about the suffering that has led up to right now. What is it? And what have you done in response to it? Have you, have you just stuffed it down, maybe ignored it? Maybe you've given in to fear and hopelessness in your life. Let me remind you that whatever your suffering might be, whatever darkness you might find yourself in, that there is a light that the darkness has not overcome. Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome this world. There's a passage toward the end of the book of Romans that I want to read over you this morning. It's uh, been my prayer for you in preparing this message, and it's found in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It says this. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. 
so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my prayer for you this Christmas season, that the God of hope would fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And maybe you've never put your trust in God. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as the Lord and the Savior of your life. Maybe you've been trying to deal with things like suffering and anxiety and stress on your own. And if you were completely honest, I think you'd have to admit it's left you hopeless. I want you to know that the whole reason why we celebrate this season of Christmas is that Christ left heaven and came to earth to be a light in your darkness to overcome the trouble of this world, the the troubles that the world has brought you, and to bring you hope. If you would like to talk more about what surrendering your life to Christ looks like, I'd love to talk with you after the service. Our prayer team's gonna be up here after the service, and we would love to talk to you more about the hope of Jesus Christ. But I'd like to end our time together by praying Romans 15, 13 over you this morning. Whatever those anxieties, whatever those struggles may be that you're facing in this Christmas season, to know that we have a God of hope, that we have a God who wants to fill us with all peace and all joy this Christmas season. Can I invite you just to bow your heads as I pray over you this morning? And so, Father God, as we, uh, as we begin this Christmas season and uh, as we know that that with it come all sorts of stresses and anxieties and conflict and loss and pain and grief, Lord, and whether the the season is a distraction from those things or if it's an amplification of those things, Father, we want to back up for just a minute and to recognize that, that somewhere this just started with suffering and that you have never promised us a life free of suffering, but that your promise is that you have overcome the world, that we can have hope in the midst of suffering. And God, we read in your word that you are the God of hope. And so I pray this morning, if there is someone here uh, in our body who is experiencing some crippling anxiety this morning, that you would be true to your word as you always are to fill them with joy and peace as they move their eyes from that anxiety and from that suffering and center it on Christ that as we trust in you, that we would overflow with hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Father, for your spirit, the gift that you've given us in him. He is our counselor. He is our comforter. He is our guide. And we thank you, Father, for him. If, if there's anything in us, Father, that has kept us from clearly hearing his voice and his direction and experiencing this hope, would you reveal it to us this morning? Even as we sing this morning, even as we close our time out, just rededicating this season to you and saying that we are deciding to put our eyes on you. We are deciding to follow after you. Father, would you bring those things to mind that maybe are are keeping us from fully experiencing your hope? Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. And Josh and the team are going to lead us in one more song this morning. And I want this to be our declaration as a church that no matter what this world throws at us, that we have a hope that is not rooted in this world, that Christ has overcome. Let's sing this with boldness this morning.